And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 83. Okay, right off the bat, I have a story. Oh, shit. Right? So my friend Ricky, he called me and like, I don't even know. I was like, how did you sleep? He was like, not well. Not well. So I'm like, do tell, do tell. (laughs) Oh, y'all are rhyming every time. (laughs) Poets and didn't know it. All of the things. Well, so he's like, look, so I have this friend. So like, it's his friend. So Mm -hmm. I know a friend of a friend. Uh That's his story. Well, so he is like, I'm going to get in the Halloween spirit. So I'm going to get this like randomizer, Halloween sounds, you know, whatever. For like the text, all of the things, you know, like, all right. Like we did for Patreon. Oh, yeah. With our thing. Mm -hmm. Ringtone. (laughs) Yes. Well, it. Isn't working how he thought it would. Whatever. Night progresses. He goes to bed. Well, living his best life, getting his carry sleep. I mean, is there anything better? Well, no. Because I wish I had your sleep. He wakes up to a blood-curdling scream. No. So he, like, startled, you know, like, jumps, falls out of bed, hits his head (laughs) on his nightstand. And he's like, what the fuck? Oh, my God. What was that scream? Like, you know, whatever. <laughs> and then in a, like a second later, he hears. No. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it wasn't for ringtones. It was just a fucking randomizer. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So he's like, finally, when he understands it, he's like, what the fuck? Calls Ricky and like, hey, can you take me to the, like, emergency care or, like, whatever. To get new pants because he shit himself. Because uh, he hit his head that no. hard. Oh, my God. So, they go and she's like, you might have concussion, so, like, stay up. <laughs> so, Ricky has to stay with him so he doesn't fall asleep. Oh, <laughs> All over a fucking God. randomizer. Oh, And that is something God. you would do. That is, for real, some shit I would do. Be like, well, Carrie broke her ankle because... Carries back on a scooter. <laughs> but oh my yes. God. Can you imagine though being like, oh my God, who, what was that scream? Oh my God, someone's in trouble. And then you hear like Dracula being like, yes. Wah, ha, ha, ha. why would you want that on your phone? Like, I mean, I know he thought it was like a tech thing, but I'm saying like a tech thing, not a thing. <laughs> <laughs> but like, why would, who would want that on their phone that it just randomly scares the fuck out of you? Right. Probably to scare the fuck out of your friends. Yeah, but it would get you too. Can I I get a little buzz on my watch or something? Let me know it's coming? (laughs) Shit. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And I feel like there should be on and off hours. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, that is great. Yes. Well, the other day at work, we were talking about like all wanting to go to haunted houses for the Halloween season. Like the boo kind of haunted house? (laughs) Yes, like chase you with a chainsaw kind. Not the Not the demon possess you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And one of my coworkers was saying that a couple weeks ago, she was in Atlanta with her daughter at a soccer tournament. And her daughter's like high school, early high school. And that a bunch of the girls on the team were wanting to go to this haunted house in Atlanta that's apparently like a big deal. Like apparently it's like one of the top haunted houses in the country. Well, my coworker does not like scary stuff. Like, she hates it. And she was like, look, I'll buy you the ticket. Y'all go ahead. I ain't going. I'm going to stay in here, watch the LSU game. <laughs> you know? Yes. Y'all, y'all go ahead. Catch it when you come out. Well, her daughter doesn't like scary stuff either. Just like her. Like, they do not do scary stuff. But all her friends were going. She was like, I'm, I'm going to do this, right? 
Yeah. Really competitive. Like, she's like, I'm going to do it. Yeah. Well, the tickets were $30 to get in. Fuck. I know. And then, apparently, this place is much like Disney World because they went ahead and bought a fast pass. Shit. So, they didn't have to wait in line because, apparently, the lines are, like, hours long. Holy Hannah. I mean, if it ain't Space Mountain, I ain't fucking waiting like that. I ain't riding Space Mountain. It's dark. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm not. (laughs) Hell, I hurt myself on It's a Small World. (laughs) (laughs) True story. Oh, Oh my God. Okay. Well, even though they had the fast passes, they still had to stand in line for a little while, you know, as you do. You know how at haunted houses, they have the things that, like, come up and scare you and, get yeah. you, you know, get you pumped, get you lit for the actual haunted house. Yeah. Well, her daughter got so fucking scared from being just the shit in the line. Oh, my gosh. That she ran and scaled a fucking fence to get out of this line because she was like, Mom, it was just one way in and one way out. She's like, but I had to find another way out. Oh, fuck. <laughs> to be young and limber. <laughs> I couldn't even have done that when I was 15, probably still. No, I would have been like feigning goat. <laughs> That's all I could do. That's my Move me now, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Dead weight. <laughs> That's why I haven't been kidnapped yet. I just, uh, I just can just picture her daughter literally just running and like Forrest Gump style. Yes. Scaling a fence to get away from these fake creatures. Yeah. So probably at least $45 wasted on (laughs) to get in the fast pass because she did not go in. Her friends did though. Wow. I was dying because that's so, I mean, because she hates scary stuff just like her mom. Yeah. She could have had a whole tray of Chick-fil-A chicken nuggets. (laughs) That's why I don't eat kids, because I'd be like, I could have had a whole fucking party platter while I'm eat- watching the LSU game, <laughs> popping them in my fucking mouth. <laughs> but no, you had to be. And I could have had all the fucking Chick-fil-A sauce. Girl, I don't use sauce on Chick-fil-A shit. You don't? Mm-mm, and I love sauce. You don't use any sauce. Barbecue. Mm-mm. Uh, what's that? Polynesian? I can see you using Polynesian. Yep. That's fucking savage. It's that good. I know something else is that good. Patreoners! Uh, they're even better. True, true. And just in time to get all the Halloween goodness. Mm-hmm. And all the back episodes and stuff, too. Yes. So, thank you so much. Tamara R. from Georgia. Denton T. from Oklahoma. Laura N. from Washington. Dana P. from Kentucky. Diane M. from Pennsylvania. And Tina W. from... Minnesota. I can't do an accent. Minnesota. <laughs> okay, how about I read that upside down and I was like, that's New Mexico. <laughs> Except for, for me, it's NW. Yeah. But I was like, that's New Mexico. Can you do an accent? For which one? Minnesota. Oh, Bobby, don't you know? <laughs> yes. We should have planned that out. You should have been able to do it. <laughs> okay, that was her rewinding. <laughs> It was like on Ace Ventura when he does the... Yeah, for some reason, all I could picture you when you did that, though, was that... Uh, Jamiroquois? No. Oh. Good one. <laughs> but on Longest Yard when he's like... Oh, my gosh, yes. Baby back, or whatever he does, the yeah. the hamburger dancer guy. Yeah. I love him. Mm-hmm. He's very sexy. Mm-hmm. 
okay, imagine that. I go from Chick-fil-A to, like... Carbs and cock. You're not wrong. <laughs> I mean, it's a thing for a reason. Mm-hmm. I wonder what episode that we started saying that. I don't know. I feel like I've said it all my life. <laughs> You've at least wanted it your whole life. Mm-hmm. Same girl, same. Okay. Because we're coming up on Halloween. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do a murderer, a killer. A murderer. Sorry. Murderer. God, your accents are so much better. Or but, impressions or whatever they're called. They're really not. They really are. <laughs> Everyone that's listening goes, no, they're really not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, so I wanted to do somebody that was like, yeah, murderer, but a little spooky. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm doing? No. <laughs> I was trying, <laughs> but no. Okay. I'm doing the Axeman of New Orleans. Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. Love this. Don't love that person. Mm-hmm. Don't love the murder. Mm-mm. But love the story. Yeah. Love the, like, lore attached to it. Yes. Yes. I hate unsolved shit, mm-hmm. but then I love it because I'm a conspiracy theorist at heart. So then it's like, mm-hmm. I want to dissect it. Exactly. The Axeman of New Orleans has actually been likened to Jack the Ripper of Whitechapel. Okay. But instead of attacking sex workers like Jack the Ripper, the Axeman attacked Italian grocers. Grocers. People who own grocery stores. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. I didn't know that. I know. I was like, what? I mean, that's oddly specific. specific. Yeah. Okay. So let's just kind of dive in a little bit about what's going on in New Orleans at the time and just kind of the states and like why some of this could have happened. So when the Axeman was active, we're talking like 1917 to 1919. So it was it was like an 18-month period. Okay. All the numbers. 17, 18, 19. <laughs> well, what was going on in the world was we were on the – we, because we were alive then. Mm-hmm. We're on the tail end of World War One, and a lot of people are immigrating to the States. Okay. There's still a lot of racial tension, obviously. It's the early 1900s. Yeah. So still a lot of racial tension with – African-Americans who have not been freed that long. Yeah. And what was happening is these immigrants who were coming over from other countries didn't really know and understand the racial tensions that were still there. Yeah. And so when they would come over, they would do a lot of the labor jobs alongside the not-too-long-freed African-Americans. And so they all became friends and were hanging out and all this stuff because They're not from here. They don't have the racial tension Mm -hmm. that already existed. And so some. But I feel like because they were immigrants at the time. They were. They were in the same class. Yes. Yes. You know what I mean? So. Not. Yes. Which is not right. I'm not saying that. But it's. I mean, it's a matter of fact. Yeah. It is what it was for the time. Mm -hmm. And honestly, probably some now, too, which is awful. Yeah. Definitely. So a lot of white Americans had took issue with the Italians, Jewish, all the people coming in from other countries because, I mean, I know Jewish is a religion and not like, but you know what I'm saying. But that's what they're targeted for. Exactly. So primarily with Italians in New Orleans at the time, they were working these labor jobs and saving all their money in order to open businesses and 
and opening grocery stores is was one of like the popular things that of businesses that they opened. So that's why there was a lot of Italians, a lot of Italian immigrants opening grocery stores. Okay, and so just how New Orleans is set up too, they would have, and I feel like this is common for just the time too. They would have the grocery store like in the front and their house in the back or the grocery store on the bottom floor, they'd be on the top floor, that kind of thing. So they all lived where their grocery store was. Yeah. It's kind of like the Whaley house, how they had that on the bottom. Yep. And you remember that story you did a long time ago? This was like episode four, I think, of the doctor that had all his doctor shit on the first floor. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's the Sally house. Yes. I knew it was a kid. I just couldn't remember. I think it was episode two. Was it? I don't know, but y'all don't go back and listen to that one if you hadn't listened to it, because that sound quality is terrible. 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 Pre-will. All right, so I think how I want to break this story down is I want to go through the victims, and then I'll kind of add in side stories as we go. Also, wasn't the Axeman in American Horror Story? Yes, the Coven one, because that was the season that was in New Orleans. Yeah. But in that, he was like a spirit, though, I think. Yeah. I think I spent half the time going, is he a spirit or is he real? Right. Is he a spirit or, okay, why am I doing Carrie repeating everything? <laughs> the other thing I want to talk about, about what was happening at the time, too, was that there had been this huge outbreak of Spanish influenza in New Orleans. And a lot of people were dying. And so, from what I gathered from some of the different podcasts and stuff I listened to and shows and all, that... Immigrants were being blamed for bringing it over, but also we're wrapping up World War One, and so soldiers are coming back, too, from oh, overseas. Yeah. So it's like, so that was, I feel like, another source of tension. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, like, alleged victims where it's like, well, this one could have been from the Axe Man. This one might have been, you know. So I'm going to touch on some of those. The first two people who were allegedly victims from the Axe Man were Italian, and their last name was Siambra. And this happened back in 1912. So it was a solid five years, almost six years, before what are considered the real Axeman murderers actually happened. The thing, too, is that the MO didn't really match. Really, the only thing that matched was that they were Italian because they were shot. And so Mm. it's like, uh, maybe, but... Does them being Italian make them one of his victims just because they're Italian? You know what I mean? When everything else is so different. Probably not. So the first victim that was truly pinned to the Axeman was Joseph Maggio. And he, as I said earlier, was an Italian grocer. Joseph was married to Catherine. And they were at home living their best life when an intruder broke in and cut their throats with a straight razor. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. And then before leaving, hit them over the head with an axe. Hence, Axeman. Well, Catherine was attacked first. Well, here's the thing. Joseph survived for a little while. Oh, shit. His brother, who lived next door, like, they shared basically like a duplex. Mm. So his brother lived next door. It's said that his brother heard, like, knocking on the door, like, like, like no. on the wall, like, hey, help. And so he went over to see what was going on. And that's when he found him. Oh, gosh. But not long after Joseph's brother found him, he died. Like, he basically, like, was able to, like, gasp and then 
like total movie moment. Yeah. There's some people who think that the brother did it because I was about to be like, it was a brother. If he died right after that, probably him. Yeah. Well, and especially because, okay, so you literally share a wall and you could hear him being like, help, you know, but you mm-hmm. couldn't hear them screaming while their throats are being slit. Right. Okay. But he said, oh, it's that randomizer I put on my phone. Damn. <laughs> but here's the thing. The police found like a bloody set of clothes that clearly somebody had like changed mm-hmm. before they left. And so the police were like, uh. but the police found a razor blade in the yard and ended up that was actually his brother, Andrew. That was his razor blade. Mm. Because he, so he had a barber shop, and like one of the employees of the barber shop was like, Yeah, he took that razor blade home a couple of days ago. And then there was nothing missing. So it was not a robbery. And so mm-hmm. the police were like, No, we think the brother did it. Yeah. But the brother was like, Look, I didn't hear anything because I was shit faced. Because he, so apparently he was about to go off because he had just joined the Navy. And so he had gone out and partied and was tanked you know so he was like he slept through it and it was a couple of hours later that he heard his brother being like knock 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 convenient alibi mm-hmm. and he was going off to war so he wouldn't have to worry about anything mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but and you know those police back in the day they didn't have any rules of interrogation and yeah. so they basically interrogated him and he never broke he never like nothing ever changed he said that he had seen some like creepy guy lurking around and so it was like Okay, you know, yeah, we don't really have any evidence that he did it, but the murder weapon, the you know, the straight razor and the axe both came from the house. That's what they did know. The next set of victims was a couple, Louis Bessemer, and what they thought was his wife. Ooh, dun dun dun! But it ended up being his mistress, Harriet Lowe. Ooh. Well, okay. So, in June 1918, this baker gets to Louis Bessemer's grocery store to deliver the baked goods. And he's like, where the fuck is Louis? Like, what's going on? He's always here, you know? So, since, again, the house was attached to the grocery store, he just walks on around. And he's like, the fuck? Because he finds Louis and Harriet laying in puddles of their own blood. So, when police get there, it's like, okay, shit, they have been, again, attacked by an axe, and it was an axe that was at the house. Again, 1918, everybody had an axe for firewood and stuff, you know? Here's the thing. They fucking survived. What? Yeah. So, they had both been hit in the fucking head with an axe. Like? Yes. Not the hilt of it or whatever. No, the like, fucking, chop. like, how did you know that was what the word was? Did you make that up or is that right? I think it's right. Damn, fancy. Okay. She's could, a, could totally be wrong. So little fucking axe savant over here. Right. Or the hilt of a gun or what? Something. Oh. So police found the axe in the bathroom too. So it was like, what? Well, so Bessemer later was talking to the police and he was like, yeah, so we were. Doing the dirty. Mm-hmm. No. We were asleep. It was, like, super, super early in the morning. Boy, you know morning sex is the best, so y'all were about to do it. The axe man, he came up in there like Jason Voorhees and was like, no fornication. Mm-hmm. 
The police immediately latched onto a suspect by the name of Louis Wiebeschon. I hope I'm saying it right. It's very Cajun French. O-U-B-I-C-H-O-N. He was an African-American man who worked just like the previous week for Louis Bessemer. And so they're like, I, th- I think he got fired. And so he, of course, was just like the easiest, like, oh, he's a suspect. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Scapegoat. Mm-hmm. And when he w- gave his, like, alibi, there was some, like, sketchiness to his alibi, just, like, conflicting stories and stuff. So the police were like, mm-hmm. And then what? <laughs> but... Remember, Harriet Lowe had survived, and she told the police that the person who had attacked them was multiracial. And so they were like, okay, well, that's different, but but he still did it. Mm-hmm. But then they were like, well, the motive of this was robbery, but literally nothing was stolen. <laughs> Just like before with the Maggios, nothing was fucking stolen. Or their lives were stolen from them. Damn. That's deep. <laughs> well... The police were like, oh, Harriet's, like, confused. You know, the whole axe to the head business. Uh-huh. So they arrested him, but then they had to release him because uh, no fucking evidence. So then the police were like, dude, I bet it's Louis Bessemer. I bet he did this. Because, so, ended up, they found some letters written by him that were in German, Russian, and Yiddish. So, again, remember, we're rounding out World War One, mm-hmm. And so they were like... Damn, he a German spy. Uh-huh. So. Turns out he just had Rosetta Stone. So, flash forward, we're like weeks ahead now. Well, remember, Harriet, she alive, but she's like going in and out of consciousness. So, later, so like, again, two weeks later, she tells the police, no, he really is a German spy, and he's the one that did this to me. So, they arrest him. But then... They had to release him, and a couple of the investigators were actually demoted for shitty police work. So, then they arrest him again. Well, then Harriet takes a turn for the worse, because she has surgery, and she's literally just laying in the hospital and dying. And almost, like, makes, like, a deathbed confession, but not a confession that says, like, no, it was really him who did this to me, Louis Bessemer. So, they ended up charging him with murder, but he, so he spent nine months in jail, but then... He was acquitted. So they're like, okay, well, it wasn't him. What? Mm-hmm. Here's the thing, too, that was interesting that is terrible. But so the Times-Picayune, which is still the newspaper in New Orleans, was who, like, ousted Harriet as the mistress. Mm. And so she was like, damn, Harriet the spy? Damn. Maybe she was really the spy, mm-hmm. and they were coming to kill her mm-hmm. because, here's the thing, they put her in the hospital under a different name mm-hmm. because he tried to go up and see her, and they were like, no one here is here by the by that name. So the media was all over her because it's sensational. She's this n- mistress in 1918, and they fucking were attacked by this axe-wielding maniac who could or could not be her lover. Meanwhile... His wife is in Cincinnati. His wife was in Cincinnati, but they were being Cincinnati. The next victim was Anna Schneider, and she was attacked August 1918. So there's like a three, basically like a three month cooling off period for the Axeman. Well, here's the thing about Anna. She was fucking eight months pregnant. No. Mm-hmm. So Anna Schneider's husband came home at midnight 
and found her body. And she had been, like, bashed in the face. Her face was covered with blood. Mm. And here's the thing, too, though. So, there was no evidence of any breaking and entering in the house. And there was no, like, weapon. And so, the police were like, oh, okay, I think it was this lamp right here. Like, so, basically, as before, this person's who's doing the killings is getting like the ax and the, all the things from the house. This person just fucking used the lamp that was there. Well, guess what? Chicken butt. No, she fucking survived. I mean, lucky for her, but good God. Yeah. So remember eight months fucking pregnant, like two days after the attack, she fucking gave birth. What the fuck? Uh huh. And so the husband is like, There's nothing missing. Clearly nothing was, like, the apartment wasn't broken into. Like, well, I don't know what the fuck happened. Well, the police arrest a guy by the name of James Gleason, and he was an ex-con in the area, but they had to release him because there was literally no fucking evidence. So, the police were like, okay, and then they kind of did this publicly, too, where they're like, okay, are these cases all related? Well, the next victim is Joseph Romano. And Romano was an older man, and his nieces, Pauline and Mary Bruno, lived with him. Well, just five days after the attack on Anna Schneider, Pauline and Mary woke up because they heard, like, commotion in their uncle's room. And when they get there, they see this guy running from the scene, and they said that he was dark-skinned, heavy-set, had on a dark suit, and a slouch hat, which is like a type of hat. Thank you, Carrie. I Well, I was like, is the hat just slouchy? I mean, why are you judging his attire? Maybe he likes to be comfortable. Slouchy clothes, you know? No? Okay. Maybe it's just me. Apparently, you're a hat savant, too. Well, Joseph Romano lived for two days after the attack, but he died later from just, like, fucking severe head trauma. Well... This is kind of where I feel like he's the first case where it's like, okay, really and truly, this is the Axeman's MO. So, you know, like old school wooden doors, like real fucking wooden doors, how they have like three or six panels on them, you know, and they're so cute and I love them and I want all my doors to look like that. Well, a chisel had been used to remove one of the panels. Also, an axe just like... (laughs) <laughs> let me walk in the backyard before I chisel my door open. Grab, oh, look at that axe. Let me grab that from the woodpile. His house was completely ransacked, but just like before, nothing was fucking stolen. Well, police were starting to get all these reports of this, like, axe man that's just, like, lurking around everywhere. And, like, some people are calling in being like, I found an axe in my backyard. So, right around this time, too, this italian detective well he was retired but his name was john d'antonio and he was like look i think that all of these victims are victims of the same person and i think that it goes back all the way to 1911 and i also think that this person is like a a dr jekyll and mr hyde like it's 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 a split person who that's why like sometimes they're killing sometimes they're not and why it's just like all of a sudden well then the next set of victims was Charles Cordomeglia and his wife, Rosie, and their baby daughter, Mary. Why he got to kill babies? Because the Axeman, if the Axeman is really who did all of this, has no qualms about 
Like, there's no MO as far as, like, or well, there's no victimology for him. Yeah. Other than Italian. Like, it's men, women, kids, all the things. Which is why the people who think that this is all mafia-related are like, no, nah, it's probably not. Because there's a code of conduct, you know, in yeah. the mafia that you're not, you're not hitting, not taking those hits out on women and kids. So... That's why that's one of the you know theories or whatever that it is mafia related, but again, people who are opposed to it being mafia, they're like, Mm-mm, he wouldn't, they wouldn't do that. Well, and the Cordomiglias lived in a suburb of New Orleans. They'd been found by their neighbor from across the street because he had heard screams, and so he ran over there to see what was up. And when he got there. Rosie, the wife, was standing in the freaking doorway. She had this huge head wound that was just pouring blood and holding her baby girl, trigger warning, who had died. Mm. Charles was on the freaking floor, just gushing blood. They rushed them to the hospital, and they both had skull fractures, but they both survived. That's terrible. Not that they survived, but that they lost their child. Right. So when Rosie started coming to, the police start hounding her with, who did this? Who did this? Who did this? They're like, was it the Giordano's? Who did this? Who did this? And so she finally just was like, yeah, it was him. And okay, so old man Giordano that found them, he's 69. And he's 69 years old in 1919. That's like 700 years old now. Yeah, like how did he, is he a vampire? Must be something. He does something. But what they were, what they said was that he and his 18 year old grandson are the ones that did it. And they said that they did it because he was a rival Italian grocer. Um, they should break bread, not heads. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing though everybody's like, okay, first of all, old man Giordano, too old, too shitty health. He ain't did it. And then grandson Giordano, he is too big. He He's over six feet tall. He's over 200 pounds. Like, there's no way that man fit through the damn chiseled panel cutout. And Charles Cordomiglia is like, it wasn't them. He's like, I don't know what the fuck my wife's talking about. Oh, remember her skull fracture? She had a goddamn head, head injury. It wasn't them. And y'all were pressuring her in the hospital to say it was them. Here's, here's my theory already. All right? Mm-hmm. I think all the husbands belonged to a secret society mm-hmm. and they are plotting these people because it's always the women that end up fucking dying mm. or hurting or whatever. And then they're like, she got a head injury. She don't know what she's talking about. Mm-hmm. Well, the Giordanos go on trial for like literally for their lives. There was no evidence None. The only evidence against them was her identification. And her, like, family doctor, her doctor that was treating her or in the hospital or whomever it was said, "Mm, she's got a fucking head injury. Her identification is not reliable. Wow. But it didn't fucking matter. The trial lasted less than a fucking week, and they were both convicted. Wow. Or old man Giordano was sentenced to life. Young Giordano sentenced to hang. Whoa. Nine months after the trial and she identified him, she goes to the Times-Picayune and says, they did not do this. And she goes to retract her statement. Well, here's the thing. 
She had signed a previous affidavit saying it was them because the police like basically made her do it in her hospital room. So then she signed another one that was like, this was not them and that she had been pressured into identifying them. So the prosecution starts even threatening Rosie with perjury charges if she doesn't stick to the story. But finally, in December 1920, the Giordanos were released because, uh, hilarious, it was not them. Wow. Then there was a guy named Steve Boca. He, again, was a grocer. This was in August of 1919. And he woke up, and there was a guy standing next to his bed holding a fucking axe. He was attacked, but he survived and was able to run from the house to say, like, help. And again, he had been hit over the head with the axe. He goes to his neighbor's house. He loses consciousness while he's there. And when the police get there, they see that his house, just like the previous one, chiseled panel and attacked with his own axe. Well, Steve ended up surviving. However, he didn't remember shit. So this is right around the time when the famous like Axeman letter comes out. Just like three days after the Cordomiglias were attacked, the Axeman letter came out. And then a couple months later is when Steve Boca was attacked. So, the Axeman letter says, Hell, March 13th, 1919. Esteemed mortal of New Orleans, the Axeman. They have never caught me and they never will. They have never seen me, for I am invisible, even as the ether that surrounds your earth. I am not a human being, but a spirit and a demon from the hottest hell. I am what you Orleanians and you foolish police call the Axeman. When I see fit, I shall come and claim other victims. I alone know whom they shall be. I shall leave no clue except my bloody axe, besmeared with blood and brains of he whom I have sent below to keep me company. He goes into some stuff being like, I know all these demons. I know y'all think I'm bad, but I could be way worse if I wanted to be. And he says that he is in a close relationship with the angel of death. So then the letter goes on to say, Now, to be exact, at 12.15, earthly time, on next Tuesday night, I'm going to pass over New Orleans. In my infinite mercy, I'm going to make a little proposition for you people. Here it is. I am very fond of jazz music, and I swear by all the devils in the nether regions that every person shall be spared in whose home a jazz band is in full swing at the time I have just mentioned. If everyone has a jazz band going, well then, so much better for you people. One thing is certain, and that is that some of your people who do not jazz it out on that specific Tuesday night, if there be any, will get the axe. And did he have a meme with jazz hands? He had something, but I want to know how to jazz it out. Me too. I feel like I could catch a cramp trying to jazz it out. Mm-hmm. So he goes on just to say like some other stupid stuff, and then he signs it, the Axeman. But I feel like, I'm like, okay, did you just take that from the Bible from Passover whenever <laughs> God's like, if you put the blood of a something, a mm-hmm. lamb or something, I won't kill your firstborn? Mm-hmm. Um, very unoriginal Axeman. So, everybody was jazzing it the night, and nobody died that night. They say that, like, bars and stuff were so full of people listening to jazz bands. People had jazz music playing in their homes. It was like, that's why the Axeman is also known, like, as the jazz man, because of this letter and telling everybody to have their music played. 
I didn't know he was known as that, but I mean, I remember him liking that music. Yeah. Two more victims. Sarah Lawman was attacked September of 1919, and she was found in laying unconscious in her bed. She, too, had a head injury and was even missing some teeth. But this time, the person had come in through the apartment window, not chiseling the door. And it looked like maybe she had been killed with a blunt object, although there was a bloody axe that they found in the front yard of the apartment complex. So she, too, survived, but didn't remember anything. And then this is what I found interesting. So the kind of the last victim, I mean, there were a few others in other places. Like there was even one in Lake Charles that they thought might be the Axeman because, well, I'll go into that in a second. But the kind of the last one, though, was Mike Pepitone, and he was attacked on October 27th, 1919. So right around Halloween, his wife heard a noise, went to the bedroom to see what was going on because they, they had separate rooms and she saw this big old guy holding an axe, flailing it around. And she saw that her husband, Mike, had been hit in the head. He was covered in his blood. The blood was covering the whole freaking room. And he ended up dying from his attack. And his wife and their six kids were at the house. And none of them could identify anything about the killer. One more last thing. There was a like an artist who had been, at the time working on his invention, which was basically like a timed camera with some exposure or something. And his daughter or great-granddaughter or somebody was looking through some pictures that he had taken. And they think that he actually got a picture of the Axeman walking into the house of the Cordomiglias, I think. I can't remember whose house it was. But it's like a shadow. It could easily be like overexposure. Like, I feel like... People who know things about cameras could probably very easily explain that away. So some people truly think that this is all mafia related and that it's not one axe man because although some of the MOs with the axe are the same, some people, their houses, they were chiseled their way in. Some people, they weren't. Some people had blunt force trauma with something other than an axe. There's so many variables. The other thing is that some people think it's just a bunch of copycats who latched on to the story and didn't have all the details because the police didn't share it all. And so they maybe not have realized that he had chiseled or used an axe or what. I mean, obviously they knew he used an axe. His name was fucking axe man, but you know what I mean? Didn't have all the exact detail. And so they couldn't replicate it precisely as a copycat. But some people think that the axe man is a demon and is this evil entity that killed all of well that attacked all of these people and that because there's no you know they're like there's no way that a human could go through those doors like that and all the stuff so some people truly believe that it is like a sinister spirit for the accident to be this prolific like serial killer a lot of the victims actually survived uh-huh and mostly men well, and all I have to say again is that fucking Selena died from a, sh- a gunshot wound to her chest, and these motherfuckers getting hit in the head with an axe and surviving. Mm-mm. That lady had a baby. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of the big problems that people had with the Cordomiglia case with the Giordanos getting blamed, too, was like, she was traumatized. 
she not only had been going in and out of consciousness from her fucking head injury, she literally held her child while her child died, you know? And so both of them were severely impacted by the death of their child. And it's like, so police just did a really terrible job with their case. So anyway, that's the Axeman in New Orleans. Well, I feel like the Axeman is kind of a disappointment. Like, I'm telling you, if you want your childhood dreams and all of that, just let Carrie do a thing. H.H. Holmes, disappointment. Mm-hmm. Axeman, disappointment. Even Jack the Ripper, too, though, I feel oh, like, oh, yeah. is a disappointment. Oh, you know? for sure. Who else, though, that you did? And I was like, damn. I don't know, but some people even think that the Axeman was actually a woman because they were able to get through these kind of smaller spaces you know, climbing through the chiseled door panel and all. But then some people were like, oh, she couldn't, a woman couldn't hold that axe, blah, blah, blah. But I'm like, but if they didn't die from it, it might have been too heavy for her. Yeah. Now, please note, I know that there are a shit ton of women who can probably wield an axe better than all the men. So I'm not saying that that's because she was a woman, she was weak and couldn't do the axe. I'm just saying when you're looking at the general population, women have a weaker upper body than men, but we have a stronger lower body. Mm-hmm. Well, it could have just been a really thin guy, too. Yeah, well, but some of the people who had seen them, some of the eyewitness stuff, was saying that it was a big guy. So, And some people were describing it like like the Axeman was just getting bigger and bigger as the story mm-hmm. went on. He became larger and taller and bigger. And, you know, I think by the end, it, what you picture as the Axeman is like someone who's like 6'7", 350 pounds that could – Wield an axe like it's a toothpick. Yeah. And those jazz hands. Don't forget the jazz hands. Jazz it up. I will always jazz it up. Unless I'm tired. Unless I need a nap. Then I ain't jazzing it up. I'm napping. Mm-hmm. Let's be honest. Y'all, this episode is sponsored by Debbie Draws Funny. It's quirky and sweet greeting cards for all the weirdos in your life. You know, when you are perusing down the aisles in the drugstores, whatever, and you're like, you know what? These are kind of funny, but I need something, you know, for that special someone, i.e. like your best friend, your partner in crime. They don't have one that'll be like, I'll help bury the bodies for you. Mm -hmm. You know, that kind of thing. She does, though. And you know what else? She made the best Murder, She Wrote happy birthday cards that I gave to my mom for her birthday because... That is something that we watched together all the time growing up. Literally just deleted some off my DVR. And my mom freaking loved it. And you know what else? She said, well, shit, Carrie, this is amazing. Close. You do it. She goes, well, Carrie, shit. (laughs) I love it. But, y'all, Debbie Draws Funny is a big freaking deal. The cards, they have been in the HuffPost. Glamour, BuzzFeed, and the freaking New York Times. So, uh, she a big deal. Mm-hmm. And this is the second time she's sponsored our show. Exactly. And she's offering a freaking good deal. Uh, yes, ma'am. She is $5 off when you spend $20 at DebbieDrawsFunny.com. That is D-E-B-B-I-E DrawsFunny.com. So, if you want $5 off... Your $20 purchase, head on over DebbieDrawsFunny.com and check her out. Promo code CREEPITREAL. I have kind of hinted at this before. Uh Uh-oh. But what I'm talking about today is the exorcism of Annalise 
Michelle. Oh, yeah. I mm-hmm. love a fucking exorcism. We have exorcised the demons. What's that from? I say that all the time, but what's it from? I know it from Devil in a Blue Dress. But you mentioned something about Emily Rose earlier this week. Mm -hmm. And I was like, foreshadowing of the foreskin? Oh, yeah. And I was like, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. Picture it. She was born on September 21st, 1952 in Bavaria, West Germany. She had question mark. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think Bavaria is in Germany. Question mark. West Germany. Oh, hence the question mark. Mm. She had three sisters, and they were all raised in a strict Catholic family. Her father Joseph had considered training as a priest, and then three of her aunts were nuns. Oh shit! They were like real Catholic. Mm-hmm. So yeah, strict. Strict was their normal. Mm-hmm. Her mom's name is Anna, and Anna, she made them, like, always atone for the sins of others when they were younger. Like, this is how you can help people. They don't know better, you know, to do better for themselves, but we can help atone for them. They also attended mass, like, twice a week. You know, just everything was going good, living her best life. Her schoolmates said that she was quite normal cheerful you know had good banter with others everything you know i mean she was she was a kid she was very petite and prone to illnesses though so sometimes that did make her more withdrawn from people i mean i'm prone to illnesses but i am not petite no so she's petite prone to illnesses but still you know like Happy, normal child. However, by the time that she was a teenager, she was sleeping sometimes on a bare stone floor, had pictures of saints and everything all over her room. And she also kept a bottle of holy water near her door and used the rosary to pray throughout the day, all of that. So, like, she did the sleeping on the bare floor because of, like, different pre like all the stuff to atone for different sins okay yeah i was like why is she sleeping on a bare floor Mm-hmm. so you know just kind of that next level like it's yeah, like the fanatic kind yes. of behavior then when she was 16 there was an incident at school where she blacked out when she came to she was walking around dazed in a trance-like state Annalise had no memory of this, but her friends were able to witness it. But everyone just kind of dismissed it as fatigue. A little while later, she woke up around midnight and found that she could not move and that she said that there was pressure on her abdomen and she was unable to call out for help. Her tongue felt like it was paralyzed. And this lasted for about 15 minutes. And she even wet her bed from it. Oh, God. Yeah. But the following morning, she told everyone about it. And everyone was just like, "Eh, you're probably sick again. You're tired. All of the things. It's cool. It's normal. Let's, you know, go to school. Look, that you're, that's not normal. Right? However, there was another incident. She was asleep and then woke up in that trance-like state again. 
Another time that her tongue was paralyzed so she couldn't call out for help, pressure on her abdomen again, but this time her body was shaking uncontrollably. Like a Polaroid picture? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. So it almost sounds like sleep paralysis, though. Except for, like, the pressure on the abdomen is uh, different. I mean, I don't know. I've never had sleep paralysis, and I've just learned this on the podcast. But, it, you know what I mean? Like, her not mm-hmm. being able to do what she wants to do kind of sounds like sleep paralysis. Hey, can you can you say that one more time? I it, don't think the people in the back heard you. It kind of sounds like sleep paralysis. Mm-hmm. So, again, her body was shaking uncontrollably, and she wet the bed this time, too. But she said it was like every bodily function or motor function. Everything was uncontrollable. After this, they visited a neurologist and he was like, look, I think you have temporal lobe epilepsy. And so that's something that can cause seizures, can cause hallucinations, and can cause memory loss. So it's all kind of like, that's probably it. Yeah. However, shortly afterward, school had started in September and Annalise got sick, and she was diagnosed with pneumonia and tuberculosis. Oh, shit. Yep, double whammy. And you said she was born in, like, 1952 or something Mm -hmm. like that? Okay. Yep. So, she was hospitalized, eventually transferred to a sanatorium for children with lung disease, Mm -hmm. which we know. We we talked about haunted asylums enough to know tuberculosis, you got to go. That's not good. Mm Mm-mm. However, she had to stay at this sanatorium longer than she thought because of, like, circulatory issues and just her body being out of whack. On June 3rd, 1970, she had her third seizure. Again, had, like, stiffness of arms, a crushing sensation on her torso. She involuntarily wet herself. And she was having difficulty breathing. So, since she was having trouble breathing and all of this stuff, she couldn't cry out for help. It was like Rose at the Titanic when she's like, come back. Yes. Come back. That. However, finally, she let out a scream and that alerted the nurse and the doctor. Well, during this time, she was prescribed anti-convulsion medicines, which was Dilantin, I believe. Mm Mm-hmm. But it really didn't alleviate the problem because then she started praying with the rosary various times, you know, all of the things. But she said every time that she would start to pray, she would see these demonic faces. No, I don't like that. Stuff still wasn't alleviated. So then she was prescribed something else and that was used in treatment of various psychoses and schizophrenia being one of them. So fast forward a few days and some of the girls are looking at Annalise, you know, people watching as one does. One of my favorite pastimes. Same. And she's got her rosary in her hand and they were looking at her hands and they were like, they are contorted like cat paws. What? Mm Mm-hmm. But Annalise was like, uh, no guys, that did not happen. However, she was at the sink doing the classic movie move where, you know, you're not looking at the sink and then you look up and it's like, boom, they're there. Mm-hmm. Well, no one was there, but she could see her eyes 
change in front of her on that mirror. And they went to that black color. So she's still suffering with depression. She's still having the hallucinations while she's praying. And from seeing those faces while she's praying that are evil looking, Mm -hmm. she's scared to pray with the rosary because she thought that might be what caused it to happen. Yeah. She also said that she could hear words saying that she was damned and that she was going to rot in hell. Dang. I always try to, like, put myself in these people's situations. Like, what would it be like? I can't imagine doing something that you find so comforting, like praying with your rosary, and it becoming such a huge source of stress and fear. You know, Mm -hmm. like, again, something that you found so comforting. The treatment that she was getting from the psychiatric hospital and sanatorium area really didn't improve her health or her depression. So she was... At this point, tired of medical intervention, like it's Mm -hmm. not working. All of, you know, like I'm doing all of this shit and I'm not normal. You know, like in her mind, she's not normal. Mm -hmm. Annalise's treatment really didn't improve her health Mm -hmm. and her depression had worsened. So this long-term treatment isn't doing what she thinks it should. So now she's getting frustrated and not trusting in the medical shit. Yeah. Actually, let me back up a little bit to say that the devil faces and all of those weird faces that she was hallucinating when she would pray with the rosary. Mm -hmm. And that's why she like was scared to pray with it anymore. That came after she was prescribed some of the, the medicine for schizophrenia and all of that too. Okay. So now we're at the spring of 1973, and Annalise starts hearing knocking sounds around her room. Is she still at the... She's back home? She's back home because they're like... It's not worth the cost. and the, yeah. yeah. Okay. Because she's not getting better. But she's still taking the medicine and stuff, but it's still like... She being there is not doing anything. She's right. seeing hallucinations. She's doing all of this stuff. Let her go back to her family. You know, and two, they're devout Catholics, so... Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm pretty sure that they feel like they could be a more powerful source if she's there, Mm -hmm. all of the things. So, because of the knocking, they take her to a doctor, and he checks her hearing. Nothing's wrong with her hearing. So, she was referred to a specialist. However, her mother, Anna, is like, you know what? Nothing's working that these doctors are trying. Maybe... It's something supernatural that's affecting her. Oh, shit. And then she kind of got, was like, yep, tally for me. Because her daughters, including Anna herself, started hearing the rapping and the tapping on Mm -hmm. the walls, ceiling, floor, everywhere. So they're like, she's not wrong. Right. You know? But now she's seeing more, not just like... Some grimacing faces or whatever. These are like full-on demonic faces with horns. And they would tell her, like, again, you are damned for eternity. But why? Also, it's I wonder if, like, demons appear how you think they look. Probably. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. because I kind of chuckled to myself that it had horns. But, like, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? But I don't want to find out. Right. The father, he was like, look, this is just a product of 
hysteria. She's saying that she hears these sounds and now y'all are hearing them. She's saying that she sees this, but now it's even like more grandiose and all of that. However, he was a little, maybe something's going on because Anna was like, look, I saw Annalise and she was fucking staring. Well, she didn't say fucking, but you know, Mm -hmm. colorful language. I have to sprinkle in there. You're just adding your own twist to the story. You're basically an author right now. Exactly. So she said Annalise was staring at a statue of the Virgin Mary, but her facial expressions were kind of like screwed up in a malicious expression. And also that her eyes were dilated to where like so big that everything was black. Oh, shit. Like the whole thing? Uh Uh-huh. Like black-eyed kids? Oh, Question mark? Question mark? So she's got the black eyes and also that her hands contorted like paws, like the cat paws that the girls had saw when she was praying to the rosary or whatever. Even though, you know, she had been sick, missed a lot of school and stuff, she did graduate high school. So that summer, she started to have a little what we think of as like basic Instead of basic white girl, it's basic possessed mm-hmm. person, you know, that aversion or intolerance to like crucifixes and yeah. all of that, like religious memorabilia. Yeah. Like the holy water she kept at the door and stuff. Mm-hmm. However, so since she graduated, she went on a trip that was organized by Thea Hine and that's someone who had went, you know, goes to her church, all of the things. And so it was a trip to the unofficial Marian Shrine at San Damiano, I think? Question mark, question mark. Got a lot of question marks. Just call me, oh shit, what's his name? The Puzzler, the Riddler, the Riddler. Well, when they got to the shrine, she was like, I cannot enter here, you know? Mm -hmm. Because she said that when she was walking on the ground, it felt like it was burning fire underneath her. She said, like, looking around at people, like, oh, my God, you know, like, is anyone else seeing this? All of the people who were praying and everything were, like, showing their teeth and being like, you know, like. Yeah, like a demon face mm -hmm, possessed person thing. Yep. That's the technical term for it. She also avoided looking at the pictures of Christ also, like, all the saint stuff, I mean, they're in this fucking shrine, and she's like, don't look at me. I can't look at it. Yeah. She also couldn't drink from the well because it was blessed water. <gasps> yeah. So, everyone's kind of looking at this girl like, this bitch crazy. Yeah. Because, I mean, you're at a shrine, and then you're like, the metals are, like, shining so bright, and all of this, and, like, you know, it's like, what? She had her last dance with Mary Jane. Get it? One more shot to kill the pain. Damn! Y'all, Carrie knew a fucking song lyric. And it was right. (laughs) (laughs) One time, Annalise were, you know, was asked about her behaviors because she became more withdrawn. All of the things. When she was asked about this, you know, about her being more withdrawn Mm -hmm. and everything... She's quoted as saying, my will is not my own. Someone else is manipulating me. Shit. She randomly would speak to the lady, Mrs. Hine, 
Mrs. Hine, I don't know, in a deep voice. Sometimes she would act inappropriate towards her. One time she even tore off like her, her medal. Well, one thing said a medal, one thing said a rosary thing. I don't know, but like she tore it off. Like you shouldn't do that to your elders and Mm -hmm. well, anyone. But also some people said, AKA that Hine lady said that Annalise started to smell like burning feces sometimes. <gasps> what? Mm-hmm. Ew. Oh my God. Oh. Yep. And then one time, like when they were on the bus back, everyone could smell it. Why's it got to be burning? Oh God. Mm, and Right. But other people say, again, it could be hysteria that someone says it and then everyone smells it. And mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Well, on September the 3rd, Annalise goes back to the doctor and she finally tells him about the faces that she's been seeing. And she then confided in him that she believes that there's a devil within her and that a judgment of fire would come upon everyone. Dr. Luthi, I think is how you say his name, later said she could not get her mind off of these things. She had no power of decision and everything was empty in her. So by this point, everyone, her family, community, all the people were like, this girl is possessed. Mm-hmm. They went, consulted some Catholic priest, like, um, knock, knock, knock. Good day for an exorcism, eh? <laughs> but they're like... No, we're not going to do that. She needs to stay on her medical treatment. Like, everything will, you know, get better. All of the things. But they also said, also, if you want an exorcism, it needs to be approved by the local bishop. Mm -hmm. And here's where Annalise's condition worsened. Again, that aggressive behavior. She began to eat flies, spiders, and coal. Yes, and then she even bit a head off of a dead bird. Ew! Like, what what the the Ozzy Osbourne is going on here? Good damn it. That's what I was about to say. (laughs) Except for Gene Simmons started coming out and I was like, that ain't his name. (laughs) Damn it, I was really going to make that joke! (laughs) There were two days where she crawled underneath the table and barked like a dog. And at one point... She peed on the floor and then lapped it up like a dog. You know what? Dogs don't lap up their own fucking pee. Some will eat other dogs' poop, though. And their vomit, but pee, no. Oh, God. good. That's so gross. During the night, she would scream and the whole house could hear her. She would tear off her clothes, urinate on the floor, just everything. And this was the new normal. During this time, though, she is going to a local college. But with all of this shit happening, she was just too depressed to study, to work. She was like, look, I gotta drop out. It even came to a point where she was too exhausted to eat. Poor thing. And it's kind of like chicken and egg. So she didn't eat, and that's probably why she was exhausted, but Mm -hmm. then she's too exhausted to get up and eat. Or even chew. She kept hearing voices telling her again that she is damned around her school friends. Again, at a Catholic college and all of that, I I believe. 
she said the prayers of her friends were too much too, even though they did not say them out loud. One time she threw a rosary across the room, a bottle of holy water, and she could not bear to step into a church. So she stopped attending church. Her legs became so stiff that when she was walking, she was like walking like drunk people do, grabbing onto furniture, walls and everything, and pulling herself along. Get that girl on assistive device. Another thing is that people said sometimes her own face would become demonic looking. Mm -mm. So there's this one father, and his name is Father Alt. He visited her on July 1st. And she just kept telling him, I'm damned forever. I am damned forever. He did the prayers like Hail Mary. And when he did that, she just flew into like a temper tantrum. So Father Out was like, are you taking those pills, honey? She's like, yes, I'm taking them. But Father Out said he could just feel like a coldness radiating from her. And Carrie, you're going to be like, what the fuck? But at this point, she also had a boyfriend. What the fuck? I told you. While she's having this temper tantrum, he's in the room with her and Father Alt. And she's like, Peter, get out. She used her sexy voice. Oh, yeah. Are you kidding? She had a boyfriend. I mean, I know you're not kidding, but are you fucking kidding me? Mm-hmm. I bet that sex was so good. <laughs> Damn. Well, Father Alt did his little Hail Mary stuff. He did a Hail Mary. Okay, anyway, football reference. Mm -hmm. But before he left Annalise's room, he found a piece of paper with her handwriting. And it kind of progressively got illegible because, I don't know, like, you could just tell she became more unstable and more desperate as she wrote it and everything. Mm -hmm. Well, it read... Courage leaves to stay what I wanted. I am a sinner. I have clearly recognized that in the chapel today, even if I imagine something different. I have no courage despaired. I am afraid that my priest, my no trust. I am standing at the crossroads, either life or death, grievously injured. Throughout the years, I no longer defended myself. Not now, either. I became desperate after the Holy Communion in spirit and heart. An iron chain is pressing around my heart. Fear, terror. My spirit is lame. What if it becomes free? Freer. Right away, despair rises. The worst of it is that I have no choices anymore. I see that sometimes clear like lightning. Hopelessness sits at the root where life is. It has become a condition. Pride, unspeakable pride will not set me free. When I speak, my heart does not speak along. I am afraid that people will despair me. Paralysis, still I give myself to every glimmer of hope. Newly up, fetid, things will get worse and worse with me as the days will be constructed. Back home, her appetite had come back. Probably her mama's home cooking. You know mm-hmm. how it does. Mm-hmm. Well, not my mama. My mama used to only cook twice a year. Once at Thanksgiving, once at Christmas. That's so funny. And now she don't do either. Dang. Cook, we'd usually do Thanksgiving somewhere else. And, well, I usually cook Christmas. 
I will say she she's the one that does a really good job of like organizing, putting all the because ca- yeah. we're, we're southern, we do casseroles, so she does a really good job of like ordering like when to put them in the oven and stuff like that. So she yeah. does do that stuff, but it's just so funny. She, my dad does all the cooking. She did still have like her legs being really rigid. People said that she walked like she was on stilts. Mm-hmm. Because of how her legs were, she wasn't able to pray like on her knees and all of that. And that would kind of go into like screaming fits of rage. Well, at this point, Father Alt was like away on vacation doing shit. So they talked to a guy named Father Roth. Well, only Joseph, the dad, had talked to Dr. Roth. Well, Annalise was up in her room. He came up to be like, hey, this is what's going to go on. And But Annalise said, Roth, that dog, he's going to come. But she didn't know that they had like, oh, okay, let's call this person up. Hey, we're calling Dr. Roth for you. You know, like, no. When Dr. Roth came to the house, they took him into the living room and he said, oh my God, do you smell that stench? Let me guess. Burning feces? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's disgusting. Yep. Poor girl. Okay. Fast forward to 1975 and they finally get approved for an exorcism with Father Alt. About Father Alt, he looked at Annalise and was like, she doesn't look like an epileptic. Uh-uh. Like, don't fucking know that shit. Mm-hmm. So with Father Alt, he put pressure on the local bishop, Joseph Stangle. The bishop gave them permission, and he's like, all right, Father Alt and this another priest, Arnold Renz, Y'all can do it, but you have to have, like, complete secrecy. Do not tell Donna Elwin because she will blab her mouth. Oh, shit. You know, it's got to be that kind, like, mm-hmm. down low kind of shit. Mm-hmm. So, July 30th, 1975, Peter, her boyfriend, went to visit Anna. They went for a walk, but, you know, she's exhausted. She's, you know, the stilt-like walk and all of the things. So, Peter's like, you know what? Let's just head on back home because, like, you're fucking slow as fuck. You know, that's really Mm -hmm. what he wanted to say. But, like, babe, let's head back home. You're not feeling well. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, then, when that happened, it was like she fucking did a jig and was able to move normally. And she exclaimed, like, oh, my God, I feel like myself. I mean, true love, y'all. It does cure everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Question mark? <laughs> well, they go back to school because they're like registering for fall semester. And they're getting some groceries, as one does. But then her face and legs started to constrict again and be really tensed up. But she didn't behave aggressively. However, when she returned to her room, she stood stiff in front of a crucifix, glaring at it, like, you mother, (laughs) you know, that kind of thing. And just like, holy fuck. Peter said her face was totally distorted. She growled like an animal and gritted her teeth so loudly that I was afraid all of her teeth would fall out. I started praying for her in thought without giving any indication of what I was doing, immediately 
she ordered me to stop. Mm -mm. And Peter wasn't raised real religious like Annalise was, but he had started going to mass again for her sake. Mm -hmm. Well, on August 3rd, it was the Sunday after she returned home. Father Alt was like, all right, I got time to do a little shorty, a little quickie exorcism. So while he's performing this quick exorcism, she is whining and crying and moaning. And at one point, she's like, stop, it's burning. Golly. When they were like, where? She said, my back, my arms. And then she just kind of whispered, I'm free. So they're like, oh, she's free of the demons. However, she kept crying and moaning. But, I mean, they took that as a sign and they left the house. They were there for a total of two hours. Well, Father Alt is like, she benefited. It's good. However, Annalise's behavior just became more aggressive, more odd, just Red flags everywhere throughout the month of August. She couldn't sleep. She, if she could sleep, she couldn't sleep for more than an hour or two. She would like prance around the house, but like buck up the stairs like she was a goat. Oh, God. Mm hmm. She, well, maybe that's just from her legs hurting. Maybe, maybe. She started to be very compulsive. Sometimes, and so she would kneel and then stand up, like, really quick-like, like, ninja style. And she would do this until her knees swelled. Sometimes she would pray, and it would be from dawn to dusk. More often than not, she could be heard saying, My Jesus, forgiveness and mercy, forgiveness and mercy. Sometimes when she started screaming and doing those, like, tantrums, she would again, be so shrill and so aggressive with it. And in other times, she would fall into a catatonic state, and that could last for days. Mm -hmm. And during this time, like, her sisters would have to try to feed her and wash her and do all of the things. She claimed that she felt heat rising within her body all over, and that's why she would tear off the clothes trying to cool herself down. She would start to have visions of... Sugar plums? (laughs) No. But of deceased people. And then the stigmata marks would appear on her. Mm -hmm. Well, another local priest, he was like, look, she needs to be taken to a psychiatrist. The shit she's pulling and stuff, like, this ain't right. Well, everyone had been like, fuck you then, because we're tired of them. We're tired of them not helping her. Annalise is now 22 years old and she was like, fuck no, I'm not going. So this other priest, he's local, but he's like an older priest. All of the things. He went to see Annalise for himself. When he gets there, he sees that Annalise is lying on the floor, again in that catatonic trance Well, this priest is like, what is your name? What is your name? And she said, Judas. Damn. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So this old priest is like, holy shit. Yeah. She possessed. By like a big dog. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. 
Well, shortly after this priest leaves, Annalise is better again. You know, like no demonic shit going on. She could take regular meals again. When she said earlier she couldn't eat because she wasn't allowed to. But it was by, you know. The demon in her, yeah. Yeah. So the two priests come back and they're like, all right, we about to get up in this shiznit. One of them, Arnold, he starts writing down like some timeline and everything so they can kind of keep an eye on everything. He wrote and so is quoted saying, the demons or Annalise react to the holy water most fiercely. The possessed beginning to howl and toss and turn, and she is being held down by three men, Mr. Hine, Peter, and her father. Annalise would try to bite them, kick, you know, all of the thing, and she would howl like a dog and stuff, especially when that holy water is used. She would be more like foul-mouthed, and she would be like, finish this shit. You fucking priest. You dirty asshole. Oh, my God. Right? So, throughout all of these exorcisms, they said, okay, she is possessed by several demons, including Judas, how she had said. Also, Lucifer. Also, Nero, Cain, Hitler. What? Uh Uh-huh. Fleishman? I don't know. Yeah, I know him. Yeah. I'm just kidding, I don't. <laughs> he was a disgraced Frankish priest from the 16th century. So, like, how does she know him, like, to, mm-hmm. to lie about this, you know? But something, too, that's a little different is that all of these demons spoke freely with the priest. You know, usually it's like, who are you? And it's like, I'm never going to tell you, you know, yeah. that kind of shit. No, they were like, uh, notepad, please, because here we are. Mm-hmm. Roll call. Now, get this. Over the time, the ligaments in her knees ruptured. (gasps) She did 600 of these genuflections, something like that, where it's the act of reverence. That's a hard fucking word. Ours, y'all. Consisting of falling onto one or both knees. And she performed these obsessively. Again, remember, she was compulsive. Mm Mm-hmm. During each exorcism session. So, over 600 of these. And it basically made it to where her ligaments ruptured. June 30th, 1967. This is her last exorcism. She was too weak and just emaciated Mm -hmm. beyond belief to even perform those by herself. Yeah. And so her parents stood and helped carry her through the motion. What? Why? Because they thought she needed to do it. Well, she died in her home on (gasps) July 1st, 1976. Her last words to Father Renz were, please, absolution, which was her requesting the absolution part of the rite, Mm -hmm. which he gave. Yeah. Yeah. An autopsy was performed, and the cause of her death was malnutrition and dehydration. She weighed 68 (gasps) pounds. Oh, my God. Now, this is sad. She was buried in kind of like the pauper's field or whatever. 
that you know how it's like unmarked graves mm-hmm. kind of thing. Well, it's on the outside, like edges of the cemetery, close to her home, mm-hmm. but like not respectfully, I guess. So normally, like where she is, normally it's used for illegitimate children and people who die by suicide. What? Yes. That's ridiculous. Well, people were like, look, something's not right here. So they did an investigation and pretty much determined that if anyone would have intervened and got her medical assistance, even just a week before this, that could have prevented her death. And so the priest and her parents were charged with negligent homicide. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, they taped some of these recordings, 43 of them to be exact. However, they were not allowed to be played at the trial. And that trial began March 30th, 1978. And everyone was like, turn on the TV, turn Mm -hmm. on this, do all that. I mean, they didn't have court TV then, but you know what I mean? Like, give me all the deets. Right. The prosecution had doctors and they said that she was not possessed But it was like a psychological effect of her strict upbringing and epilepsy. Well, again, you know, they were found guilty. In 1978, two years after her death, Annalise's body was dug up and her parents wanted to move her from that cheap coffin. But people said, "Mm, we think it's just a ploy to exhume her body And, you know, whatever. And it's because someone in the religious field or whatever reached out and was like, I had a vision that Annalise's body was was, still intact and all of this shit. But official reports say that the body showed consistent deterioration. However, those photos were never released and the parents were prohibited from witnessing the exhumation. Mm -hmm. But... From a distance. (laughs) But they could look out. From a distance. Yeah. From her, from the bedroom of their home and see that they were transferring Annalise. So here's another thing. Skip forward 30 years later and Annalise is thought to be an unofficial saint of some people. And these people will travel around the world to visit her grave, leave handwritten notes and of thanks and gratitude because they say that she sacrificed herself to atone for others. Anna, Annalise's mom, mm-hmm. she is quoted as saying, I know that we did the right thing because I saw the sign of Christ in her hands. She was bearing stigmata and that was a sign from God that we should exercise the demons. She died to save others lost soul to atone for their sins. That bishop, he was like, um, I was not aware of her conditions or I would not have approved the exorcisms. Right. And he would not testify in trial. Well, like I mentioned, they were found guilty of manslaughter from negligence. The priests were fined and her parents were given six months of jail time. And that got suspended to three years probation. The church, though, other than these, like, this small sect of people, they did eventually change their position and was like, you know what? She wasn't possessed. 
We really do believe this was mental illness. Mm-hmm. Or that encephalitis that they found, like, not too long ago, like, legit back in the early 2000s, like 2007 or something. Dang. It's called anti-NMDAR encephalitis. And that NDMR is like non-methyl D aspartate receptor. I don't know, beyond my comprehension. But it's that encephalitis that starts off with like what seems like the flu. And then it goes into like a psychotic state and it presents like exactly like a possession. Like they have, but it presents like they have the hallucinations and the, they can do like the contortions and stuff Mm. and like everything that you associate with like a demon possession, Mm -hmm. they have. Wow. Like speaking of language, like all this stuff. So. Wow. mm -hmm. Well, one last little thing for you non-believers out there. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) On June 6, 2013, there was a fire that broke out in the house, their house, and you know, that was the house that they lived in, Mm -hmm. had received all of those fucking exorcisms, And police say, you know, it's a case of arson. Some of the people say that it was kind of like Annalise getting her revenge Mm -hmm. on it. Because there was like a picture. I have to look for it. But like a picture that kind of shows something, you know, and they're like. "Mm -mm." But why would she be getting her revenge? And you know what I mean? Because they didn't help her. But they they did everything. If it truly... Okay, if this is for people who don't believe, like, you know what I mean? If she, it was truly because she was possessed, like, I don't think she would be getting revenge on them because they did the best they could. They tried. They did 8 billion exorcisms on her. True. True, true. Fake. <laughs> I haven't done that in a long time. I know. Well, so there's multiple films based on Annalise, and we know The Exorcism of Emily Rose in 2005. And God, that was a good movie. Oh, my God. So good. When she, de- first of all, that girl did all of her own, like, stunts and stuff. Really? Yes. Like, all that contortion stuff. Fuck. She did it all. But the one where, when they say, like, they ask her, like, how many, or, it like, demons or whatever are in her. And she's, like, going up and down her knees and goes, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Or yeah. one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, or 13. Or I can't, yeah. I can't remember how many it was. But I guess seven. But crazy oh my gosh and then there was annalise the exorcist tapes in 2011 so we are going to play a clip of like one of the tapes from the exorcist films. Holy shit. Like, it's terrifying to just hear it. Yes. And it's like, well, good on them for like having the foresight to record it. Yeah. Like back then, you know, now it'd be fucking easy as shit to record it. It's like when you hear that, like something is truly going on. But again, what is it? Right. Is it schizophrenia? Is it an encephalitis? Is it a demon possession? Who fucking knows? Wow, that was a good one. Yay! Just trying to get the ones, you know, the bigger ones, the ones that make you think, honestly. Yeah. You know, and it's like, 
Because there's that new show called Evil mm-hmm. that comes on, and it's, like, about a person yeah. who thinks, like, critically, and then a person who thinks of supernatural shit. And it's, like... So it's our show? Yes. But <laughs> they are, they have, like, actual experiences. <laughs> We're like, well... We just wing it. On Ghost Adventures. <laughs> well, on Facebook, I saw a thing that said... <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Forensic Files back in 2011. Oh, my God. One of my favorites is when Forensic Files explains GPS, and it's like the global positioning <laughs> unit. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, oh, my, not unit, whatever. See, maybe I should go back and watch it. Damn. Well, this was a long episode, but I feel like it was, we did some big old topics. Yes. I hope you enjoyed it. Yes. We hope that y'all are enjoying the 31 Nights of Halloween. We're having a blast. We're almost there. Yes. We have like one more week. When this comes out, like we'll have one more Monday. Yeah. That's crazy. I know. Oh shit! What are we gonna do for next Monday? I already got my story plan. Oh fuck. Uh huh. It'll be a good one. Yep. All right, y'all. Thank y'all so much for listening and all your support. And remember, creep it real and, and don't, don't get scared. scared.